0: Sherry, Sherry baby, Sherry. Buckle on up as you are about to hear from rock and roll royalty and the writer and producer of some of the greatest songs and albums of all time. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast and get ready to be inspired motivated and achieved massive success and now your host the mayor of motivation Eli Marcus our guest on the motivation show was inducted into the songwriters rock and roll and the New Jersey Hall of Fame. The big three, there. He was the principal writer and an original member of the Four Seasons, as in Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons. He wrote and or co-wrote Sherry, Big Girls Don't Cry, Walk Like a Man, "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, and numerous others. He produced a number of songs for Marvin Gaye, Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, Roberta Flack, we can probably go on all day here and others. His longtime association with Neil Diamond yielded seven albums. Welcome to The Motivation Show, Bob Gaudio.
1: Well, thank you so much, Eli. I appreciate that. That was, that was, uh, I'm feeling old.
0: <laughs> well, you know, as I said to you, oftie, I could probably go on for like another 20 minutes on your bio, but. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> that will remind you how old you are, right?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah, why not? I'm 82. No, no, I'm going to be 82.
0: Don't rush it there, Bob. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're going to go right back into the 1950s now that we're talking about age, because I understand that in 1956, the band that preceded the Four Seasons was called The Four Lovers, and I bet you a lot of your fans may not know that. How did The Four Lovers actually become The Four Seasons in 1960?
1: Well, I have to clarify, as they told me when I joined the band, it's The Four Lovers of Music so I need to put that out there. When we joined, when I joined the band, uh, I, I was one of the four lovers. I think I made a hundred dollars a week and, um, to condense everything that's pretty much in Jersey boys. Uh, we met Bob crew in an elevator and he knew Frankie from a while before and that turned into, Hey, come up, see me. Uh, I need a band to play on my stuff. And, uh, we did and he promised us a recording contract and at some point we finally got around to recording our own stuff and sherry came out and here we are and we changed the name because nobody liked the four lovers and it was time for a change
0: well i like both names (laughs) yeah (laughs) So Bob crew was producing the four lovers right back then. And how did like this evolution occur where you ended up becoming the producers of the four seasons?
1: Well, you know, it went back and forth. Bob and I worked really well together. Uh, we wrote some songs that were, did pretty well. And eventually, you know, I learned from a master. So, uh, I started to take the reins a little more as we went on. And, um, I worked in the studio a lot more with Bob. The group came in when we were ready to actually record. But Bob and I were very close for a very long time. So eventually, uh, we kind of went our separate ways. He did some things with Kenny Nolan and uh, a few other great writers. And I went off and uh, did Who Loves You. I actually did a Sinatra album in the meeting. Middle of that, Watertown and Marvin and so on. But I left the group. So that's when I started producing because we signed with Motown after I left the group. And then it was, uh, uh, I was more in control of the productions than Bob was still involved though, but we did our separate things.
0: You know, Bob, it seems like you have the Midas touch. You know, it seems like everything you were involved with was. Pretty much uh, wildly successful. You even uh, wrote and co produced the Frank Sinatra album, Watertown. You, and you were born in the Bronx, right? And then moved yeah. over. <laughs> the Bronx, you got it, right? I, lo- I yeah. love to say that. And then you moved on to Jersey. <laughs> I yeah. love to say that.
1: <laughs> but I must make mention of my, my school it was PS89. And I remember, I'll always remember that number. So, uh, yeah, I was. It was fun. The Bronx was got started to get pretty rough. And my parents said, Hey, uh, let's get out of here. And that's when we moved to uh, Bergenfield, New Jersey.
0: And so, Bob, how did your upbringing, you know, lead you to the musical path that you were uh, on? And uh, were you always comf- confident from an early age that you would have the, I mean, pretty much a meteoric level of success that you enjoyed pretty early on?
1: I don't think anyone could predict success uh i was driven uh uh, i started playing piano when i was six or seven i had a an amazing teacher sal mosca who was a, a jazz artist in his own he played with if anybody knows uh lee konitz and lenny tristano and i i learned so much from him i learned i would say and he he's gone now but he taught me how to focus and i think the focusing is what uh drove me through many times good bad and indifferent to just stay on track and getting too scared it didn't work and so on and so forth so i mean that pretty much was a life lesson for me and uh, it stayed with me and maybe that's part of the reason i've been lucky <laughs> so that's it focus is everything as far as i'm concerned playing business and whatever. uh, You must stay on track.
0: Well, there's a lot of distractions, that's for sure. And particularly in today's world, you know, you can get on the internet and just a million different ways you can watch things on TV back in the old days. But you had Ed Sullivan and a few other channels. (laughs) But today it's real easy to get distracted. And, And you said a very powerful word, focus. When you mean focus, are you talking about you know, literally working 14 hour days, you know, six or seven days a week. Uh what is your definition of focus? You
1: know, I, I guess you could look at some of the great actors and it's there in character on stage and off stage, you know, when the camera's rolling. They do what they do. And when you go have a burger in the local restaurant, they stay in character too. And I think that's important. I mean, I'm not talking about exaggerating this, but if you're not in the place you're supposed to be, as you say, it's so easy to get scattered and lose focus and, and lose the inner part and, uh, of, of what your project is all about. Because I remember one thing my, my piano teacher told me uh, uh, about playing a classical package, uh, passage in a piece. And he said, you know, you're playing it, but your fingers are not responding and you don't have to overplay. You can think it. Don't even play it. Just think it and stay focused on what the piece is. And it was amazing to me because I would hear some stuff play back once in a while. And using that process is is coming from within. Uh, it reaches your fingers, <laughs> it reaches your voice. It, it, it's, it's really a, a, a phenomena. And when you lose that focus, for me, you lose the essence of the project you're on.
0: Yeah, a buddy of mine uh, who uh, sold six hundred million books for one one book series called Chicken Soup for the Soul. <laughs> Mark Victor Hansen. He wrote a book about uh, the power of focus. Uh, so definitely, uh, that is uh, a theme that uh, will help people become successful. But are there any? Uh, I mean, th- this is the the great sort of like search for most of mankind, is how do you become successful? Like, are there secret ingredients, you know? Uh, What's the secret sauce? So besides focus, anything else that you would add?
1: I think it always helps to do something uh, you can earn a living at and and love. And Mm. I think Extra commitment when, you, when you're in that position. Unfortunately, you know, when I first moved down here to Nashville, we'd go to the Bluebird and see some of the artists and songwriters and around. And I was in a state of shock at how much talent there was in Nashville and how many of them didn't have a deal and how many of them had had written some fantastic songs it was humbling you know so it doesn't always happen i think it's a combination of things uh stars are in alignment so to speak so a focus is a big part uh for sure doing what you love is a cliche but not everybody can do it so i was really fortunate when I started when I was 16. I had a hit record at 16, short shorts. Uh, um, so I had that taste of blood. <laughs> I I knew that something was here, and so I stayed with it. Traveled in buses, did the, uh, the, the usual stuff. Um, I quit high school. I shouldn't really bring that to focus. But uh, in that day, actually, my principal, who I worship, uh, said, hey, even if your parents don't want them and want you to go, let me talk to them. And he convinced them to let me go on a bus tour. And here I am.
0: Now, uh, short shorts, which was your first hit you mentioned. Now, a lot of people, if you if you hum the tune, I think they'll become more familiar with it. Perhaps you can kind of give people a little more sense of some of the commercials and things Short Shorts was in. Uh oh
1: yeah. And I've hum seen. it a little bit, maybe. Who uh, short wears shorts. There we go. Up, 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 there you go. That's all I have to do usually. Uh, I was in a Nair, Nair commercial for, I don't know, 20 years or something like was
0: that. Joe Namath on one of those commercials, am I mistaken? Or <laughs> right? I it? Used to, was Joe Namath on one of those commercials? Uh, yes, I think it was actually. <laughs> that's,
1: that's, that's a good memory. And it just went on and on. And it, it was a little three lyric song. Uh, yeah, it was hooky, it was chanty and, and, uh, it's been recorded again since many times. And the commercial, the commercial was pretty amazing. You know, who, who doesn't want to look at a six or seven beautiful girls running up and down steps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got a lot of takers for that. That's for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, I look at success also, um, as having good collaborations, And you've had some of the most perfect collaborations, forget about good, with all the right people, it seems. How did you form these incredible collaborations?
1: Well, sometimes they just happen. You know, they drop in your lap. And that's great, but you have to make something of it and take it to another level. And I've always tried to work with people better than me. And I've been pretty good at Choosing that, in some cases, it was pretty easy. And then when I get as good as them, uh, it's time to move on. So, you know, maybe that's ladder climbing or what have you. But, but it, it's a learning process. And always surround yourself with people who are as good or better than you. And that's been a big part of it for me.
0: Hmm. What about your career are you most proud of and why?
1: Wow. Wow. There's so many
0: moments, you know, you
1: mentioned a few at the top of the show. I think Jersey Boys winning Best Musical, uh, having been given the notable jukebox musical tag, it was the first and hopefully not the only, but it was the first musical that was called the jukebox that won a Tony Award. When I saw Julie Andrews come out, On the stage and read that announcement i mean my body went numb because it was a feel that i wasn't comfortable with hadn't had any success with it of course all the people involved were successful in that world but that was a moment i didn't expect uh because we were Uh, categorized as a jukebox musical. And, you know, it's been running for, what, 16 years or something like that, and it's going out on tour again. So, you know, that was a big moment for me, crossing over a bridge, and there actually being another street (laughs) on the other
0: side. And can you remind us your role in uh, Jersey Boys, the musical?
1: Uh, Well, I composed uh, 70% of the music. Uh, From the past, there was a, you know, a work that was 50 years in the making.
0: And I'm a character.
1: Uh, I'm the character in the show, Bob Gaudio, Frankie Valley, Tommy DeVito, and Nick Massey.
0: So what inspired the uh, song Sherry? Was there an actual Sherry? I no, I wish there was. It'd be
1: easy to answer. <laughs> a combination of many people, you know, somebody's ankles, somebody's beautiful smile, somebody's Intelligence, so on and so forth. So it simply uh, uh, an adoration of uh, women. <laughs> so yeah, it was the time I was a kid. I mean, I think I was fifteen. No, 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 no. I was eighteen then, seventeen then. So it just popped in my head. I do not know why, but I guess I should now.
0: Hmm. And how about the "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You"? Was that inspired by anyone?
1: Well, Bob Krug came up with that title we were at his place uh, writing and he dropped the piano the name on the piano and as usually with the way we wrote he would just leave me alone with a lyric or a thought or a concept and then come back in an hour i'd call him and i had something and can't take my eyes off you turned out to be a combination of three different melodies i had the verse i had the horn section which was written, uh, not totally, but really uh, written for a children's show. It was played on a uh, a music box. Uh, And it was, you know, if you played it on a music box, you'd know it works for that too. Uh, And the chorus, uh, I had those three and I couldn't figure out how to put it together. So bridging the verse, which is kind of low keyed, and the chorus, which is what it is, I needed to have those horns in the middle to put the verse, have it go in with power into the chorus. So it was actually three different melody concepts.
0: Well, I'm going to embarrass myself and I'm probably going to regret this, but, uh, you know, uh, there was this song and it went like, uh, oh, what a night. Late uh, December back in 63, what a very special time for me, as I remember what a night. Then the a song goes on to say, what a lady, what a night. Was there a certain lady that is referred to? Well,
1: there is a definite story there. I pretty much wrote that myself, lyrically, about the uh, repeal of a Prohibition and it was 1933 and it was oh what a night because we can have some booze and get drunk again and uh, not that they weren't doing it anyway but i brought it to the session we were recording the who loves you album which was out and a hit record and um i had this we made uh, the my version and we cut the track and the track was so magical I mean, we could just listen to the track all day, and we did. Uh, and Frankie said to me, you know, that idea about flappers flipping on the floor and, and so on and so forth, <laughs> are the goofiest line. And I think Rolling Stone printed it one time to my embarrassment, the original lyric. It was my fault for letting it out. But my wife at the time, Judy Parker, she said, Hey, give me a shot at this. And she didn't, she hadn't written any lyrics to my knowledge. And um, she stayed up all night and came up with a new concept. So, and I had to change the melody here and there to make everything fit. And we kept the title and bingo went in the next day and everybody loved it. And just became a, it actually was our biggest single.
0: I'm going to ask you a tough question here, Bob, because he's, they're like your babies, right? You wrote all these songs. Do you yeah. have a favorite song
1: or songs? <laughs> yeah, I do. And, and it's not even in the show Jersey Boys. Most people don't know i wrote it it's the sun ain't gonna shine anymore that's my favorite that that is hands down my favorite why it puts me in a certain place it makes me appreciate what's happened to me uh uh it just reaches my soul Uh, i can't explain it any any better
0: Yeah, it's powerful when something can reach your soul. I think that should be the point of a lot of music. (laughs) You (laughs) can reach deep down in there, that's for sure. So, Bob, how do you feel about the streaming business today? And how are your songs doing now in streaming in this contemporary world? It's not the 60s any longer. Well,
1: after a major lawsuit that I won, to not mention with whom, I'm happy with the streaming business. (laughs) (laughs) Truth is, uh, now that writer's are getting paid what they should it's been great i mean it's been great let's face it nobody's buying records anymore it's all about tune in and pick up and stream and what have you so i have to say that pretty much saved the record business from my point of view
0: and of all the acts that you worked with outside of the four seasons uh, were there any particular artists that intrigued and inspired you most
1: Well, Sinatra, for sure. I mean, that was a trip. Uh, It was an amazing time. Uh, And then working with Neil Diamond. I mean, Neil Diamond has been a friend for a long time. Uh, And uh, his wife, Marsha, who's in the show, a character in the show, we were both living in Malibu, and I met her in a Grocery store or something. And she said, What are you doing out here? And so on and so forth. And the next thing she said is, You, you have to work with Neil. He, we're out here. And she put it together and off we went. So I did seven albums with him. And I, I'd say we're friends in the studio and off and out of the studio.
0: Well, we can change the title of your show, A Beautiful Noise, to a Beautiful uh, uh, Relationship (laughs) Partnership.
1: (laughs) I I mean, that's putting Beautiful Noise together and actually being able to get it on the stage uh, is a big highlight for me. It absolutely is. Neil is a big fan of Jersey Boys. And, you know, it's like, wait a minute. How come we can get a show and he hasn't yet? So, he he was very happy about getting that going, and he was a big part of it. He, it's about his story, and uh, he told some depressing moments and and Parkinson's and so on and so forth. So it's a powerful show, and uh, I'm proud of it. And we didn't get any nominations, which kind of says something to me <laughs> about jukebox musicals. But uh, we're not going there this time.
0: Well, I can tell you, uh, I saw it twice, mm-hmm. and. I was dancing in the aisles, yeah, I uh, singing all the songs and the lyrics. Uh, I had a great time, and what's really good, I, I guess, you know, you really were true to life. You know, you didn't just just try to put out, you know, the fun stuff. You actually told the story. You know, yeah. a story that a lot of people don't realize how Neil has suffered. Uh, and that's why I really enjoyed it because you you you, you kind of had the melancholy. you had it all. <laughs> and yeah,
1: I'm glad you feel that way because that was the purpose. Purpose was to show the other side and and it doesn't matter how much money you have. it's it's still something that could crush your family being put in a superstar position. And just because you've had that success doesn't mean you have to be a happy guy. And he had his troubles, and, and we all have, but in particular, uh, he he was hit pretty hard from for a long period of time. And it does happen. You know, you could easily brush it off and say, well, look how much money he made. He's, a, he's an idol. What's his problem? That doesn't work, I'm afraid. So I appreciate you appreciating it.
0: Well, you know, I just interviewed a gentleman by the name of Ramon Hervey, and he was a publicist to uh, Bette Midler and Richard Pryor and asked him questions about Richard Pryor because he was on top of the world. Uh, yeah. And he had that famous incident where the uh, this uh, sort of uh, cocaine thing or something, drug thing sort of blew up. Uh, and it uh, actually was a, probably a long time later, he actually admitted uh, it was a suicide attempt. And you say to yourself, like, how can a guy like this? He's on top of the world. It's like the leading African-American comedian on the planet. You know, how could he have issues? You know, how could he uh, uh, have insecurities? And I, mean, I suppose fame isn't everything, right? There's, you know, just yeah. one part of life. And it it's comes a, with its own problems. It's a
1: big sacrifice uh, for your art. But, you know, it, it, it really can... Take down a family. And some people can put it all together and walk that line, and some people don't. Because, you know, like I said earlier, you have to put your whole heart and soul into what you do. And in doing that, some things have to slip to mm, the. Yes. And it's, and it's, we've all done it. I mean, I've done it. Frankie's done it. Anybody I know has had a chaotic family relationship. Some people can pull it off. But most people in this business that are creative don't do well with that.
0: Yeah. And so what do you uh, expect audiences to feel during A Beautiful Noise? And how do you want these audiences to feel after they leave the show?
1: Well, obviously, if they're walking down the street singing and dancing, I'm a happy guy. Uh, (laughs) sure and and that seems to be the case with beautiful noise you know you get that kind of afterglow and it's thrilling to see that sometimes i stand out in front of the theater and hope nobody sees me or knows who i am and just watch what they say what they do where they go uh you know negatives and positives i've not seen any negatives i assume they don't know who i am so you know they're speaking freely but to feel that electricity that happens in the audience is pretty pretty difficult to overlook and not feel even if you're not say a neil diamond fan or a frankie valley fan or a four seasons fan or whomever it's hard to bypass that you know it's it's in the air and it's it's a fantastic feeling to be part of
0: well i had uh, an interesting pleasure uh when i went to see the show there was a uh, a gentleman by the name of Andrew Lloyd Webber that was there the same night, and during intermission, I went over and I actually chatted with him a little bit. And I said, "What do you think of the show?" He was actually blown away; yeah. he loved it. So <laughs> you get a yeah. guy like that who created the, you know, the music for Phantom of the Opera and all these other legendary shows, uh, supporting it that that means more than the to Tony, even I think. <laughs>
1: well, you bet. And I have to say, Andrew Lloyd Webber pretty much brought back the theater business. And we can go way back to, I don't know, Cats. Uh, I mean, he's got a, a, a an arm and another arm and another arm full of smash brilliant shows. And kudos to him. So, yes, you're right to, to hear him say he even liked it. And no less felt a spirit in there is, is amazing. You know, we, we just got it. We had a chance to do a moment on, on the Tonys, even though we weren't nominated, but I have to tell you to see, see people in the audience, like the stars that were singing uh, Sweet Caroline, even though it's kind of like a cliche thing, you know, you couldn't do a show that with Neil and not have that song be sung or or play baseball <laughs> it was an amazing thing to watch you know that's what we want that's that's what we get when you come uh to the show you see you see that you see i loved i used to sit up in the uh early on in the i don't know the box seats above i never watched the show i watched the audience and watching the audience respond like you say, uh, how, how you felt.
0: That's the show for you. <laughs>
1: that's a uh, you bet.
0: You bet. So, Bob, what do you uh, think makes Neil Diamond and his music able to transcend? the usual fading plateau of success that most artists have. And instead, you know, he's as strong as ever now in like a remarkable seven decades of music, musical success where, you know, his classic songs like Sweet Caroline still resonate today. And even where Gen Z can sing the lyrics of.
1: Yeah. I think some songs are just meant to uh, hang around through movies, through commercials, uh, through artists who, grew up with that you know it it, it's just something his songs have been recorded many 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 times and that's important and one of the things that got me interested besides neil being a friend was neil's music is dramatic you can call it whatever you want but it's dramatic there are there are moments like Suleiman and and things in the show where you really feel your insides rumble. You know, you feel you feel something's coming up here, something's starting to move me here. What's the spirit I'm feeling? I I I, I don't know about critiquing the music. I just know I can only critique it with what feels it what it feels like in my stomach when I hear it. You know, Holly holy, holy, uh, America, so on and so forth. Uh, Hello again, forever in blue jeans, whatever. It has a an inside track to emotion, and that's why I think his show works. Some catalogs don't work; they're they're too much of a sameness. And Neil's isn't. It's very diversified.
0: Well, I want to thank you on behalf of my mother because she was a huge <laughs> Barbara Streisand. A uh, fan, and oh. uh, you, of course, uh, was uh, behind uh, one of the great uh, songs of all time. You don't bring me flowers. What was it like producing the Neil Diamond uh, Barbara Streisand duet and uh, uh, Neil Diamond album of the same name?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that happened from a radio show. Somebody realized that they were in in the same key, did some cutting, and turned it into a duet. And then nobody wanted to put it out with that, the way it sounded and all, so we put it together. But going into the studio, the thing I wanted most, which was a little bit difficult for both artists to swallow, maybe it wasn't Neil so much as Barbara, you know, she's used to working with a brilliant set of musicians, strings, and so on and so forth. I wanted going back to what I said before. I wanted them to be nose to nose on a mac- microphone with a piano and get that marriage between the two or dissolution of uh, the marriage, and we got it. I think we got it, and I put the strings and horns and whatever on after, but it was it it just being able to get the record finished <laughs> was an Academy Award for me. I, I just felt like, oh my God, how am I going to get through this and stay alive? But it worked out great. Everybody was wonderful. Performances were stunning, vocally without anything else but the piano. It was stunning. So, uh, I you know, that's an event in my life. I may not have mentioned it earlier, but yeah that was a big event in my life,
0: well, you know you had that big event, but what what would Bob gaudio want to be most remembered for, considering your breath of work and all these incredible songs and highlights uh, and high points? well
1: <laughs> there's a there's a, a, a an album I wrote with Jake Holmes, you mentioned earlier with Sinatra called Watertown, and right now we're in the throes of potentially turning that plus an additional 10 songs added to that project into a movie if that comes through uh i'm going to retire <laughs> that'll be
0: you don't I'll seem be- like the uh, kick back in a hammock kind of guy you know <laughs> yeah.
1: um, no, I'm not, but but you know i could try i mean i'd have to try harder
0: but i could do it <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you would like our listeners to know about?
1: No, I mean, from an inspirational standpoint, you know, all I can say is uh, 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 don't expect to hit, grab that star. But, you know, one level below ain't bad either. Just reach for the stars and see where you land. And usually if you're that talented, something will come of it. And uh, stay with it. You know, focus, focus, focus.
0: Mm, I like that. Three words. Focus, focus, focus. You don't need much more than that. Well, thank you so much for being a part of our show today, Bob. I really appreciate it.
1: Okay, pal. Thank you so much. I appreciate you.
0: If you would like to inquire about having Eli motivate your team, speak at your event, or coach you personally for massive success, email the motivation show at gmail.com. That's the motivation show at gmail.com. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.